Hey guys, and welcome back to Literally Just Airplanes. It's been a very, very long time, but I can't wait to get back into this. We're going to talk about the DC-8 today. Let's get to this and let's start going, moving along. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. There's a lot to go on with this. You can make money from your podcast, no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Remember, your podcast journey starts here. Hey guys, it's good to be back. Podcasting again. It's been a long time and I'm, I'm glad I'm starting to get involved with it again. Uh, if you guys just noticed, I just got my airframe and power plant about two months ago, and I'll be start working soon, so we'll put this on a schedule that I can get a, a, maybe a new episode out a week. Uh, we'll see how things go. But today, we're going to be talking about the Douglas DC-8, which is technically considered a narrow-body airliner. It was built by American Douglas Aircraft Company. It lost its tanker competition, of course, to the 707. But it's been a great airliner and jetliner project for more than 60 years. So, the first thing we're going to talk about is its history. Uh, it's, used in Amer it's used in airlining. But its first time it was announced was in July 1955. It derived jetliner project in October 55, Pan Am, Pan American, made the first order along with the competing Boeing 707 and many other airlines followed. The first DC-8 was rolled out in Long Beach Airport on 9th April of 1958 and flew for the first time May 30th. The FAA certified it on August of 1959, and the DC-8 entered service with Delta Airlines on September 18th. The DC-8 is considered a low-wing quad jet, so it's got four engines, and it's been re-engined a couple times. The one that's notorious is the CFM-56s that 737s also use. The manufacturer, of course, was Douglas Aircraft, and McDonnell Douglas took over a little bit after. The first flight was May 30th, 1958. And the crazy thing is, about 556 were produced, and you wouldn't think that many were produced for the such big... The low-wing airliner was a four-engine jet aircraft, with initial variants being 151 feet long. The DC-8-10 was powered by Pratt Whitney JT-3s and had 273,000 pounds of tow. The DC-8-20 had more powerful JT-4 turbojets for 276,000 pounds. The intercontinental models had more fuel capacity up to 315,000 pounds or 143 tons powered by JT-4As for the Series 30 by the Rolls-Royce Conway turbofans for the Series 40. Pratt & Whitney JT-3Ds powered the later DC-850, and freighter versions reached an M-tow of 325,000 pounds, up to 147 tons. The improved Series 60, or Dash 60, was announced in April of 1965. The DC-8-61 was stretched by 36 feet for 180 to 220 seats in mixed class and M-tow of 325,000 pounds, or 147 tons. This first flew on March 4, 1966 and was certified on September 2, 1966, and entered service with United Airlines in February of 67. 
The DC-8 was produced until 1972 with 556 aircraft built. It was superseded by large-body airliners, which Douglas would make a little bit later, the DC-10. I hope to go more in-depth with the DC-10 in later episodes, but it's a great aircraft that I've always fanned. In 1975, the Dash-70 retrofit was proposed with quieter, more more efficient CF-56 turbofans. And some of these, as of May 2021, are still in use. The development started after World War II. Douglas' company designed a lot of propeller cargo liners, such as this DC-3, DC-4. But Douglas, more than any other company, made commercial air travel a reality. The DC-2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, and DC-7 flew out two decades through the 30s and 50s. When de Havilland first noticed the comet, Douglas felt the no need to rush in anything anything new, especially since the comet had a lot of issues. De Havilland's pioneering comet entered airline service in 52, but it was grounded after two fatal accidents in 54. The aircraft industry as a whole gained considerable benefit from what was learned and resulted in considerable attention to detailed design in DC-8. In 52, Douglas remained the most successful of the commercial aircraft manufacturers. The Comet disasters and the airline's subsequent lack of interest in jets seemed to show the wisdom of their staying with propeller-driven aircraft. Once this became a factor, as you can read later, and more read more information about this on Wikipedia's on DC-8, the competitions for Boeing and McDonnell Douglas and Douglas took a turn. Boeing took the bold step of starting the plan of pure jet airliner as early as 1949. Boeing's military arm had gained experience with large, long-range jets through the B-47 and the 52. Boeing also supplied the SAC refueling aircraft, the straddle freighters, and the 707. But after a while, Boeing's plans became obvious that it wanted to compete with Douglas. Now to the coolest part and my favorite part, the design phase. Like I said before, the DC-8 is a low-wing jetliner with a swept wing at four engines. Douglas has secretly began jet transport project definition studies in the 50s. By the mid to late 50s, they had developed into a form of similar to the DC-8 and dash an 80-seat low-wing aircraft with four Pratt & Whitney JT-3 turbojets. Maximum weight was around 190,000 pounds, and range was about three to 4,000 miles. Now, during this time... Douglas remained keen on designing more and more airplanes. They wanted to compete, but they also wanted to test the waters, just like how de Havilland's Comet failed the water test. Donald Douglas was shocked by the rapidity of the decision which he said had been made before competing companies even had time to compete their bids. Having started on the DC-8 project, Douglas decided that it was better to press on than give up. Consultations with the airlines resulted in several changes. The fuselages widened. The, this led to larger wings and tail surfaces and a large, longer fuselage. The DC-8 was announced in July 1955. Four versions were offered to begin with, all with a 156-inch long airframe with a 141-foot wingspan. But the engines and fuel capacity and the weights did differ towards the end. Douglas steadfastly refused to offer different fuselage sizes. The maiden flight was planned for December 1957 with entry into revenue service in the late 50s, early 60s. Even though they were lagging behind Boeing, Douglas began a major marketing. Now, during this time, Boeing wasn't the only competition. Vickers, Bristol, Lockheed, 
Caravel. They all competed with Jet Airliners. But, however, the main thing between Douglas and Boeing and all of them, their competitors were offering money to make them. A lot of the competitors did not, such as Lockheed at this at this time, did not hold enough money to make more to make more production. The Electra, the Lockheed Electra, and the Caravelle were big pushes. But during this time, Douglas still took control. The rest until 1955, when Pan, Pan Am placed simultaneous orders with Boeing for 2707s and Douglas for 25 DC-8s. It was a huge win for Douglas. To buy one expensive and untried jet-powered aircraft type was brave, but to buy both was at the time unheard of. In the closing months of 1955, other airlines rushed to follow swoop. Air France, American Airlines, Braniff, Continental, and Sabina are just some of the ones that ordered 707s. United Airlines, however, National Airlines, KLM, Eastern Airlines, JAL, and Scandinavian chose the DC-8. In the 1950s to the 1960s, many of these wanted to buy both of them. By the start of 1958, Douglas had sold 133 DC-8s compared to Boeing's 150. So despite Boeing's making more, Douglas was not out of the race yet. A lot of testing had to be done. This aircraft had to go for some rigorous flight tests. Of course, Donald Douglas proposed to build and test the DC-8 at Santa Monica, where the DC-3 was tested. To accommodate the new jet, Douglas asked the city of Santa Monica to lengthen the airport's 5,000-foot runway. Following complaints by neighboring residents, the city refused. So Douglas moved its airliner production line to Long Beach Airport. The first DC-8, November 8008 Delta, was rolled out of the new Long Beach factory on 9th of April, 1958 and flew for the first time. It flew for two hours and seven minutes with the crew being led by A.G. Heimerdinger. Later that year, an enlarged version of the Comet finally turned to service, but it was too late to make an impact. De Havilland had just 25 orders compared to, at this time, Boeing with 160 and Douglas with 150. On August 21, 1961, the Douglas DC-8 broke the sound barrier about Mach 1.012 while on a controlled dive through 41,000 feet, and maintained that speed for 16 seconds. The flight was to collect data on a new leading-edge design for the wing, and while doing so, the DC-8 became the first civilian jet and the first jet airliner to make a supersonic flight. The aircraft was registered as Charlie Foxtrot, Charlie Papa Golf, later delivered to Canadian Pacific Airlines. The aircraft crew by Captain William Magruder, First Officer Paul Patton, Flight Engineer Joseph Tomic, and flight test engineer Richard Edwards took off from Edwards Air Force Base. It was accomplished, accompanied by an altitude by an F-104 Starfighter, supersonic chase aircraft, which was made famous by flying by Chuck Yeager. Other than the service, the 1962, DC-8 sales dropped to just 26, followed by 21 and 63 and 14 and 64. And during this time in the 60s, we were starting to get a little bit close and the, the deal was starting to make bigger aircraft. Boeing just renamed their new variant the Boeing 720, and Convair had 880s. But it wasn't stopping Douglas there yet. In 1965, Douglas announced belated fuselage stretches for the DC-8 with three new models known as the Super 60s. 
The TC-8 program had been in danger of closing with fewer than 300 aircraft sold, but the Super 60s brought fresh life to it. By the time it seized in 1972, 262 DC-8s had been made, with the ability to seat 269 passengers. That remained so until the Boeing 747, my favorite aircraft, arrived in 1970. But Douglas owned the skies until then. It featured a shorter fuselage, but was capable of nonstop long-range operations. As early as 1966, the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey expressed concern about the noise to be expected from then-still-unbuilt DC-8s, and the operators had to agree to operate it from New York to lower weights to reduce noise. But by the early 1970s, legislation for aircraft noise standards was being introduced in many countries, and the 60 series was really at, at being banned from major airports. But that wasn't until the aftermarket maintenance piece, the hush kits, were installed. Third parties had developed aftermarket hush kits, but there was no really move to keep the DC-8 in service. The hush kits didn't help the aircraft, but it influenced a quieter turbofan engine made by General Electric. In 1975, General Electric began discussions with major airlines to fit the new and vastly quieter CFM-56 on both DC-8s and 707s. It came on board the 1970s and in the early early 70s. The Super 70s were a great success, roughly 70% quieter than the 60 series, and at the time of their introduction, the world's quietest four-engine airliner, beating the 707 and the 720. As well as being quieter and more powerful, the CFM-56 was up to 23% more fuel efficient than the JT-3, which reduced operating costs and extended the range. Fast forward later, by 2002, of the 1,032 Boeing 707s and 720s, just 80 remained in service. Though many of the 707s were converted for Air Force use, either in spare or service, of the 556 DC-8s made, around 200, 200 were still in commercial service in 2002, finally taking the lead over Boeing. Most of the surviving DC-8s are now used as freighters, and in May 2009, 97 DC-8s were in service following UPS' decision to retire their remaining fleet of 44. In January 2013, an estimated 36 DC-8s were used worldwide. As a result of aging, increased opportunity costs, strict noise and emissions regulations, the number of active DC-8s continued to decline, with the youngest airframes nearly a half century. Following the history of the DC-8, there were many variants. The Series 10, which was the smallest version, the Series 20, which was powered by a new JT-4 jet engine, the, DC, the Series 30, SAS-42, where JT-49s were established, the Series 40, with Rolls-Royce, the Series 50, with JT-3Ds again, and at this point, the freighter started to become more of an, more of an action. The Series 50 introduced one of the first jet freighters. The Super 60, which is my favorite, was introduced in February of 1967. And during this time, it had the highest capacity in, the, in about a medium range, but it held the highest capacity of all the jetliners. Series 70s, the Super 70s, were straightforward conversions of the 61s and mentioned the quieter engines. It also had new nacelles that were designed and helped by Grumman Aerospace and fairing of the intake air noises below the nose. The DC-871 achieved the same end but required more modification because the 61s did not have the improved wings. The DC-8-70 conversions were overseen by Gamma Corp with CFMI, McDonnell Douglas, Grumman, 
and some part of Boeing. The major operators as of May 2021 are Transair Cargo Service and one with CFS Air Cargo. Based in Lima, Peru, Skybus Cargo Charters lists three DC-870s in the fleet. Its Air Operator Certificate was issued in August 2016. NASA operates one DC-8 for research including archaeology, ecology, geography, hydrology, meteorology, oceanography, volcanology, atmospheric chemistry, cryospheric science, soil science, and biology projects. I'm not really going to go too in-depth with the accidents, but as of October 2015, the DCA had evolved in 146 accidents, including 84 haul losses and 2,200 fatalities. The DCA has also been involved in 46 hijackings. The deadliest incident involving the DCA was Nigeria Airways Flight 2020, which crashed on July 11, 1991, with 260. There's plenty of museums that have the aircrafts on display, and there's a DC-8 displayed at the Kenneth Kaunda International Airport in Zambia. The specs we've already gone in depth with, and the deliveries are still huge. As the highest delivery aspect, 1959 with 21, 1968 with 102, 1960 with 91 were the highest. Thank you so much for listening to this, this week's podcast. I'm glad to get back started again. The references are referenced from Wikipedia, The Road to the 707, Battlefield by Garvey William, Douglas Aircraft in- Industry, and Anchor.fm. Thank you guys and have a wonderful day.